0: Well, Dan grew up outside of Boise in what he would describe as a typical conservative Christian home. They prayed together every day. They read scripture as a family. In fact, he actually, uh, I guess, competed nationally at Bible memorization. I don't know if that's a typical home, but um, he was homeschooled until he was 12, fourth of six kids, raised, as he says, in a strong family that valued service to others. Dan learned to play bass guitar, and so in middle school... He got together with some of his other buddies who liked playing music, and they started a band, hoping to encourage and help people, which is kind of remarkable for middle schoolers. And they managed, actually, to get a little bit of national airplay as a band, Um, but the band broke up, didn't last, and uh, it was through the band that Dan met Heather. Heather was the owner of a local coffee shop, in fact, she was the place that they often played, and... uh, Dan's dad happened to be a consultant in the credit card processing world, not one we think about very often, right? And so um, he noticed that Heather was paying more than she needed to in fees, and since she had been helpful to him, he says he wanted to figure out how to help her, and that's how a business was born. It's not the type you really typically hear about. Most people aren't that excited about the world of credit card processing, right? Um, Not too many of us grow up hoping to be a credit card processing professional. So anyways, this business struggled, went through the recession of 2008, it almost collapsed, but they continued to work and grow and build both their customer base and their number of employees. And it was 2011, early 30s, Dan sits down with one of his employees because he seemed bummed out and he asked him what the problem was. What was bothering him? And he says he was completely stunned and taken back by the response. His employee told him, you're ripping me off. You're ripping me off. Says he was hurt. This was a guy who was paying the market rate and uh, felt like he was fair. But he went home and he wrestled with this conversation. And he came to realize that, in fact, as a CEO, he was making a tremendous amount of money, in part because his employees weren't. And so eventually Dan made a rather bold decision and it was at this point that his story sort of gained national attention. You might remember it. Um, His company Gravity Payments is up in Seattle and they did something rather unusual. They decided that over three years they would increase the pay of all of their employees until everybody made at least seventy thousand dollars and I believe this is 2015. That's Pretty good money, right? Pretty good money today. Now part of what had to change for that to happen was for Dan to give up a a significant chunk of his salary, which he did to help pay this. Now, what's interesting about the story of gravity up in Seattle isn't the stories of the way that money changed the lives of his employees, which it did. Um, What's fascinating is how the national response came out on this. Um, Dan is a guy who seriously has shortcomings like anybody else. He isn't perfect, but suddenly... All these TV business programs are labeling him as a lunatic. Uh, He was certain to fail. The most prominent radio talk show host in America gruffly stated, I hope this company is a case study at MBA programs on how socialism does not work because it's going to fail. Because he gave his employees money. And all of this anger started brewing about this. Because he was paying his employees more money. Now, regardless of your political leanings this morning, because this isn't, don't worry, I'm not going to get political. This should kind of stun us. Like this, this should kind of grieve us that people would get upset. Some of us maybe got upset because somebody was generous to their employees. We're not talking about a publicly traded company. We're not talking about a company that's dependent on government subsidies. We're not talking about a politician out pushing policy. I'm talking about a business owner that paid his employees. Certainly, he would have the right to spend what he desired. Now, as you can imagine, most of the employees were elated. I mean, who wouldn't be if your salaries for many of them got to double? That didn't last forever, by the way. But a few of them were not happy. Uh, One of them in particular stated publicly, now the people who are just clocking in and out are making the same as me. It shackles high performers to less motivated team members. Now what's interesting about that statement is that guy also was getting a salary bump and not everybody was paid the same amount. That was just a base of 70K, but that that range sort of shrunk and so he felt less valuable. So the question I just want to start with this morning is why would there be outrage at an employer choosing to play his employees a lot of money? Why would this type of generosity upset people who had never even heard of Dan or his company prior to this decision? As I consider that, and, and I remember this national conversation, some of you probably do too, it, it strikes me that this is a picture of how we view fairness. This is a picture of our culture. And the fact that in, In actuality, we're often really, really uncomfortable with the idea of generosity. More than we realize. That idea that somebody would give away something that isn't deserved or earned probably means somebody else in our minds who does earn it or did deserve it doesn't get it. So what what does this mean? It's not fair. Now you may recognize that Jesus told a parable, a story that isn't so different than the one I just told you. It's in Matthew chapter 20, and I'd encourage you if you have a Bible to turn there with me this morning. We're going to briefly look at this story together, and if you have a program, pull that out as well. Um, There's some questions there to help you go along, and then the bottom tears off. If there's any questions or feedback you have or prayer requests, that's part of why we take our offering at the end of the service, so that it's another way to just communicate together. As we consider this parable, this story this morning, what I want us to hear, because this is a story probably a few of us are familiar with, if we step away from the sort of sanitized Sunday school version of this story and just really take it on its face, it's a very challenging story. It's a very challenging story, and we we may not want to admit that, but let's read it together. This is Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they, so they went. He went out again about noon And about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they explained. He said to them, you also go and work in the vineyard. And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. And so the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired in the last who, who hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one whose hard lasts the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? I find this to be a really challenging story when we really face into it. Jesus tells this story to describe the kingdom of heaven. Jesus describes a rather common picture. At harvest time, farmers would need seasonal help like they do today. They'd go into the marketplace where laborers would gather waiting for landowners to come and and hire them sort of like day laborers do today. And a denarius, by the way, was the equivalent of a common day's wages. It wasn't being skimpy. Most of the workers who didn't get hired in the morning would hang around, as described in Jesus' story, just hoping to still get hired on so they could still feed their families. Living hand to mouth, they hoped at least a portion of the day's wages would sort of be better than nothing. And this was their only option. So they would stand there waiting and hoping for work. So what is it, when we get down to it, that upsets the workers who were hired first thing in the morning in Jesus' story. Again, I want you to hear their complaint. This is in verse 10. And even more, the landowner's answer makes it pretty clear. Verse 10, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who hired who were hired last, worked only one hour. You can kind of hear the anger in that, right? And you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? See, to those who worked longer, in Jesus' story, the problem is fairness. Fairness. And yet the landowner says quite bluntly, I'm not being unfair to you, precisely because that's their complaint. That's what they're upset about. So I want to ask you to begin thinking about a question this morning that I'd actually like to encourage you to keep thinking about it. And this is a question, would you rather live in a world that's fair or a world of generosity that isn't fair? Would you rather live in a world that's guided by fairness? Or would you rather live in a world that's guided by generosity? Because that's going to be messy. And that's going to feel not fair to some people. I think it's known to most of us that we live in a culture that values the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. In fact, up until... He hit the news, dance story would have been the American dream. A young man from a small town, he's a problem, comes up with an innovative solution, builds a successful company, makes a lot of money in the process. There's nothing controversial about that until some of that money is given to others. Until all the employees are paid closer to the same. Even though it's a higher bottom line. For most of us this morning, if we're honest, I think we have no issue with the idea that we have a lot more than most of the world. That's just, we could quote all sorts of statistics here, but suffice it to say, we're in about the top 2-3% of the world, everyone in this room. Now, some of us may have more than others, but we're still all doing really, really well globally. Most of us don't have an issue with that, but because we believe we've earned it, we somehow deserve it. And yet, at the same time, Isn't it true that we can look at that CEO who makes millions and millions and millions of dollars and just start to get upset about it, the injustice of it? Like there's just a few people that have most of the disposable income in this country. It's a tiny percentage, right? Seems unjust. We can get incensed about it. In a similar way, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we fall into a trap of believing other people, they're just getting what they deserve. Right? Des- they deserve what they're getting. At the same time, maybe overlooking some of our own faults. I think of, uh, maybe you relate to this experience. It's all too familiar for me. Picture yourself, you're driving up I-5. You know it's a 55 mile an hour speed limit, right? And, and you're pushing like 63 because you figure, well, the cop's not going to pull me over if I'm under 65. And there you are cruising 63 miles an hour up I- I-5. And somebody shoots by at 75. And what's your first thought? Like, I hope they get him. Right? Anybody with me on this, if we're honest? I'm not the only one. Okay. Appreciate that, by the way. Our sense of fairness is broken and sick. It's broken. And it's we laugh about that story, but that describes us, doesn't it? It's not just on I-5. It's all the time. We have a broken understanding of fairness. And Jesus, in fact, calls us to nothing less than replacing that broken idea with one that often just doesn't make sense if we're honest. It's generosity. It's giving freely and generously things that are not deserved, that haven't been earned. You might think, well, isn't that just a handout? I'm not sure it isn't. But here's the thing. We only really become generous, truly, when we realize we've been recipients of generosity. It's really when we are empowered to give away. When we understand we've received things that we've had no business receiving. Isn't it true? It's much easier to share in that. So long as we view... All we have is nothing more than the fruit of our hard labor. As long as we live in that broken picture of fairness, failing to see what we haven't worked for, it's very difficult to truly live a life that's that's exemplified in generosity. For us in our culture, this is a real predicament. Going back to Jesus' story, which is more challenging? Imagine yourself as the first worker hired or the last. The interesting thing is we wouldn't all answer that the same way. And there's difficulty in both of them for us. If you're the worker who's hired last and you're standing in front of the worker who's hired first and you're getting the same pay, that might feel really uncomfortable, right? That, That might even feel like shame for some of us. Whereas if you're the first worker and you're standing with the guy who worked just a tiny bit compared to you and he's getting the same money, man, that doesn't feel good either, does it? This is a challenging story. Now, Jesus isn't promoting socialism. Jesus isn't talking about any sort of government system or economy. Jesus is doing something much greater. He's giving us a picture of what grace is and how it works. And remember, this is a story describing the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is describing an entirely different economy. An entirely different understanding of the world that isn't based in fairness, thank goodness, praise God, but it's based in generosity. Now what's even more interesting about this story is it's told on the heels of a rather dramatic scene. A rich, young, successful man has come to Jesus asking what good deeds he must do to inherit eternal life. In other words, how do I earn, how do I merit heaven? He's working from the same broken idea of fairness. And maybe you know the story. Jesus invites this man to give all he has to the poor and to follow him. And not only does this man go away sad, not wanting to give up what he likely saw as that he had worked hard for, but the disciples are disturbed. They're shocked. Because Jesus tells them, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't have it out for rich people. But his words fly in the face of their culture and in ours. You see, in their culture, which really isn't that different than the way we view the world sometimes, rich people were rich because God had blessed them. And God had blessed them because they did good things. There was an automatic status to people who are wealthy in the Jewish culture because obviously God likes them because he gives them stuff. They must have done something to earn it. Conversely, we see in John 9, when bad things happen, like a man born blind, the immediate question is, whose fault is it? Who's screwed up? So here's this man that represents God's blessing, who's actually asking good religious questions and giving good answers, A man who they would have thought was a sign of God's approval based on his lifestyle and his words. And Jesus says it's difficult for him to get into heaven? What is that great difficulty? What is that difficulty that Jesus speaks of? It's no different than the difficulty of the first worker in that story he falls up with. We perceive that which we enjoy is ours because we've earned it. You and I perceive most of what we steward is ours because we've earned it. Now last week we read a statement from James. This is James chapter 1, and James writes, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What is the deception that James is getting at there? How does that deception relate to our ideas of fairness and hard work and even generosity? It's so easy to forget, isn't it, to be deceived and not recognize that every good thing you and I enjoy, every dollar in my bank account, every good thing that happens to my kids and my wife and the people I care about, my house, the clothes I'm wearing, everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. This building is a gift. You are a gift. But we get deceived and we think somehow we've earned all this stuff. It's easy to celebrate generosity when we're the recipients, isn't it? At least easier. But like what happened nationally it's, it's easy to decry it when we see it happening to someone else because it isn't fair. Our limited ideas of fairness cause us to underestimate the generosity of God. I want to read some words from Paul this morning. This is Romans chapter 5, and I want you to hear this in the context of God's generous heart. Romans 5, verse 6, he writes, You see, at just the right time while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And then he contrasts us to that good person, by the way. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since now, verse 9, we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, Paul's argument through this section is simple. It was while we were at our worst, while we were powerless to change, while we were living as the enemies of God, exemplifying anything but godliness, going the opposite direction of that, Paul says that was the right time for Christ to die. That was the perfect moment. Now, when we finally started to change Things were looking better. We were pulling ourselves up with effort. Not when we fixed what we broke, made up for our mistakes, did better, tried harder, went faster, all those things. See, that would be the case in our broken idea of fairness, wouldn't it? Like at least we did something, right? A little bit better, a little less powerless. Like at least tried to get up. That's not what Paul says. while we were still powerless while we were sinners while we were living as enemies of god living ungodly lives pulses that was just the right time for christ to die for us generosity isn't earned or deserved generosity isn't given out because of merit or fairness generosity is given out of heart that overflows with love, and that simply wants good for others. And this word that we throw around in church that's grace, it's radical generosity. It's the radical generosity of God. That's what grace is. It's this reality that each one of us in this room, God has given us so much more than we can comprehend because of his goodness, not because we had it coming. When we see ourselves... More like those hired in the last hour in Jesus' story. This is a lot easier to celebrate than when we feel like we're the one who's been toiling and working hard out in the sun and somebody else is getting a better deal. Isn't that true? Now, again, there's probably politics to this too, but I really think that's at the heart of why Dan's story set people off. He was generous and it didn't make sense. And and that is a broken example of something much larger in this reality that God's kingdom works very differently than ours. God's kingdom works very differently than the one we are acquainted with and may be comfortable in. Again, Jesus says this story of the generous landowner is a picture of how God's kingdom works. He says, This is what God's kingdom is like. In response to his disciples, that heads just blew up because this really rich guy didn't end up following Jesus, and Jesus says it's hard for him to get into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus turns everything upside down and says, No, you're misunderstanding. You have the wrong basis for how this works. It's generosity, it's grace. So, two questions for us this morning. The first is, what would God invite you to receive? What gift would God invite you to receive this morning? Is that just recognizing his love for you is a real thing? That you are, in fact, loved by the creator of the universe? That's mind-blowing, right? Maybe it's just to receive that this morning. Maybe it's to believe that what we celebrated in communion, Jesus' death on the cross, really did purchase your forgiveness. Maybe it's to take a step of faith in that to surrender to that idea. Maybe it's to receive this morning the reality that your life has purpose. In fact, you and I are created to look like, to represent the goodness and the love of God to the people around us. People are supposed to hear the gospel, but they're all supposed to see it in you and me. We're the story. We're we're the compelling story as followers of Jesus. Maybe you just need to recognize that when you go to work tomorrow, it's every bit as important as going to Thailand, right? If you understand that you are on a mission at the place you find yourself. When you go to school tomorrow, it's every bit as important as a short-term mission to Mexico if you understand the purpose God has for you in that place with those people. Pretty big idea, isn't it? Maybe this morning what God would invite you to receive is just peace. Last week we talked about anxiety. Maybe it's just to surrender and recognize God is good and trustworthy, and so we can just relax. Maybe God would invite you to receive a larger view of generosity so that you might reflect better what God's like to the people around you. Second question, first is what would God invite you to receive? And the second is what would God invite you to give away? And I'm going to let you fill that blank in. Because I believe if you listen for the voice of God, it will become clear what God would invite us to give away. And I think God could probably tell you that better than I could. God knows your situation better than I do. But these are critical questions. What would God invite me to receive this morning and what would God invite me to give away? Now, our community groups have been going through this book, The Good and Beautiful God, and we've been doing these soul training exercises every week. And so hopefully a number of us have been practicing thankfulness this past week and that discipline of counting our blessings. That should sort of prep us for grabbing hold of this kingdom that Jesus describes, right? As we list those things off, we start to realize they're all gifts. We can thank God for them. This week, I want to invite you, and we'll be doing this as community groups, whether you're a part of one or not, I want to invite you to be reading Psalm 23 every single day. Maybe you start your day with it. Maybe you picture those words as you end your day. Maybe that's something to go back to and pray through the day. And here's why we want to land there this week. Psalm 23 is such a beautiful picture of God's goodness. It's such a beautiful picture of the way God cares for us and provides for us in any and every situation and the reality that God's presence is with us. It paints a picture of a God of generous love and it's that God whose kingdom Jesus describes in his story. Let's pray. Father, I admit that I still have a broken view of fairness and generosity and I fail at times to recognize the gifts that you have given. In fact, I probably even misuse them sometimes. God, would you empower us, first of all, to just have joy and recognize how very good you've been to us and are being to us. Would you just empower us to celebrate that? And Father, as we do, would you also challenge us, empower us, nudge us towards lives that are more open-handed, maybe even radical, in the way we share the things you've given? Not so we could be better people, but because we just want to reflect you, and that's part of celebrating your goodness. I ask you would speak into our hearts and just really help us to understand what it is we need to receive from you today as well as what it is you might invite us to give away. We ask that we would learn more fully to live in your kingdom by your kingdom values and that in doing so we would become a more generous people because you've been generous to us as a good God. It's because of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.